In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 9, the Apostle Paul says this, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's my prayer today, that as we study from God's Word together, that we can all increase our knowledge so that we might be fruitful in God's kingdom. I appreciate very much the opportunity we have to be here today. I consider it a great blessing. I appreciate Lewis's prayer this morning, uh, all of his prayer, particularly the part about praying on my behalf. We've entitled our study today, God's Providential Care, and we're going to start here in the, read the 16th and 17th verses now of Colossians chapter 1, where the Bible says, for by Him were all things created. Now he's talking about Jesus Christ, and it's by Him that all things were created. Now notice how he elaborates on that. Things that are in heaven... The things that are in earth, the things that we see, the things that we don't see, the power that's on this earth was created by Him and for Him. Now He says whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Then he says this extraordinary statement. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This idea of God's providence is, I believe, a biblical idea. The word providence or providential is not in Scripture. But it's an idea that is referring to the way that God provides for us. And he does that in a lot of different ways. And as with any topic we try to cover, we'll not be able to exhaust this topic this morning. We'll just barely scratch the surface. But as the Apostle Paul talks here about the creation, he extends the idea into this idea that God's creation is not only in existence, it's going to work. It's going to consist it's going to do the things that God intends for it to do. And the same power that brought the world and everything in it into existence is the same power that's going to make it consist or make it work. You do a word study on the word consist, and this is what you come up with. It's basically, it means it's going to stay together. It's going to hold together, and it's going to function, and it's going to do the things that God intends for it to do. Okay? We live in a world of scoffers. We get made fun of if you believe in creation, if you believe in God. The Apostle Peter addresses this in 2 Peter 3. For they, speaking of those that scoff... Notice what he says, For they deliberately overlook this fact. 
that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. It's the same idea that the Apostle Paul expressed where we started over there in Colossians 1. These things that we see today exist because God's Word brought them into existence. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. God's Word brought the world into creation, into existence. Then God's Word destroyed it with a flood. And these are the things that the world scoffs at and makes fun of. But they're ignoring these facts. Then he says this, But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The earth is going to stay here. It's going to exist. It's going to consist. It's going to function until Jesus returns and God's Word destroys this thing with fire. This is the definition of providence or providential care, if you will. It's God's guidance. It's the way that He's providing for us. We've got a lot of ideas and a lot of pressure out there that is pushing us away from this idea. And that's why I wanted to look at it for a little bit this morning. In Genesis chapter 8, we have this, and I believe this is immediately following the flood. When Noah and those on the ark came off of the ark after the waters had receded, they immediately built an offer and offered a sacrifice to God. And this is God's response to that sacrifice. He says, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing, everything living, as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And we can depend on that, folks. That's going to happen. Now we understand there's variables, there's droughts, there's floods, there's heat waves, there's cold waves, there's all these variables, but this is a fact. This has not ceased and it will not cease because God's Word is going to make it so. And all of these ideas that are out there about how man's ruining the environment and going to destroy this world, now don't get me wrong, we need to be good stewards of the things that God has given us. But I do not believe it is within man's power to destroy what God's Word has put into existence. These things we can depend on. And when we go to plant a crop, Every crop don't turn out like we want it, does it? But these things we can depend on. 
When you plant a crop, you're going to get the crop that you planted. You can depend on it. We're going to have seed time and harvest. We're going to have the seasons. We can depend on it. We can count on it. Because God's Word has made it so. In Psalm 65, in verse 9, the Bible says, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. There's no life without water, is there? Nothing, none of us, no living thing on this earth, I don't believe, can exist without water. God's providence is what provides that water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Psalms 147 and 8. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth. We live in an arid place, folks. And I think most everybody here understands how important it is that we have this blessing from God and it is a blessing and when it don't come often enough we miss that blessing but it always returns because we have the promise of God he maketh grass to grow upon the mountains it's God's providence it's God's promise. Then we have this in Hebrews 6 and verse 7. As the writer observed this dynamic upon the face of the earth, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. And the whole earth is blessed because of God's providence. And as Jesus observed here in Matthew 5, the rain comes to the just and to the unjust. We're all blessed because of God's providence. Now I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 22. He says here in verse 35, And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lacked ye anything? And they said, Nothing. Now he, he's trying to convince them that God's going to provide. And what he's talking about here is when he sent these guys out on what we call the limited commission, he sent them early on in his ministry out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he told them, you go and you don't, you don't take any of these things. Don't, don't worry about it. And he's reminding them of that here. And he said, did you like anything? Not a thing. And this is my point, folks. We need to remember that God is going to give us the things that we need to do what He has asked us to do. And to me, that's the moral of this story.
His providence provides these things. And we can depend on that. We can count on that. God is faithful. We may not have everything that we want, but we'll have the things we need to do what He's asked us to do. I've got some examples. Uh, when I started researching this, uh, there's dozens, if not hundreds of these. I just picked a few. Anyone that was alive and of any age in April of 2010 remembers this event. The greatest ecological disaster in the history of man. It was another one in a long line of those. But there was an explosion on the Deepwater Horizon oil platform in the Gulf of Mexico. That explosion killed 11 people. And before they could get that flow of oil stopped, there was 4 million barrels of oil that shot out of that well one mile below the surface of the ocean. Was that a good thing? Well, obviously not. It was widely reported. Now, I don't know that this was. Some of you may have heard this. Researchers from several leading institutions in the United States say they have discovered a new kind of naturally occurring underwater bacteria that has eaten a considerable portion of the oil that spilled out of the Deepwater Horizon drilling platform. God's providence, folks. The earth knows how to take care of itself because God made it that way. The microbe is one of many species that help mitigate damage from one of the worst environmental disasters in history. The scientists also say their work gives insights into how future oil spills could be mitigated. So there you have it. If you've got some scientists that want to take the tools that God has given us, they can do a lot of good. The average estimate of the world population in 1000 AD was about 300 million. That's, that's just an estimate. But it serves to make my point, I hope. The world population has increased to this current estimate of 7.6 billion. Do you know what every generation has in common? At least recent generations. We're going to all outgrow the earth's ability to supply food. We have got to figure out a way to colonize Mars. Or we're going to all die. The earth cannot possibly keep up with the population growth. That's bogus. We know what God's promise is. And I understand this is to His people. But you know the other thing? And I know there's people on the earth this very day that are starving to death. But it's not because the earth is unable to provide enough food. It's because of politics and other mistakes that people make. 
It's the only reason that anybody don't have sufficient food. On April the 17th of last year, while the world was busy doing its thing on Saturday, a giant asteroid the size of a football field whizzed by our planet. Did y'all know that? It was a cosmic close call because it was traveling around 106,000 kilometers per hour. The asteroid was as far away from Earth as half the average distance between Earth and the moon. So that's pretty close. And this situation was especially terrifying considering the sheer size of the asteroid. If God chooses to destroy this creation with an asteroid, that's up to Him. But until He makes that decision, that, that, we don't need to be terrified by that. Could we have an asteroid hit the earth and cause a bunch of... I, well, I suppose we could. But we're not going to have a planet killer. Because unless that's God's will to use that to destroy the earth. We need to remember God's promises. And we need to hang on to God's promises. And we need to dilute all of this junk we hear out there in the world with God's promises. Romans 13 in verse 1. I want us to think about God's providence and governments for a little bit. It's unfortunate in my opinion, but now we're in an unending election cycle. We used to get a break, but not anymore. And it's incumbent upon us as Christians to respond in a Christian fashion to the world we live in, whatever that is, right? And I'm just honest, folks, it's a, it's a challenge for me to do that. And so that's why I want to talk about these things, because we need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. But I believe God's providence is at work in this area of our life just like it is in nature. And he says in Romans 13 in verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And as I think about that, and I know there's a lot of other verses that we could look at that speak to this subject, but as I ponder that and I try to work through that, and understand the way that I'm supposed to respond to a wicked and evil government, it's, I'm challenged. But what he says here is that we have an obligation as Christians to be subject to those that are in authority. And we understand and we know that the context in which this statement is made, he, they were living under the Roman Empire. That was no godly government, folks. It was wicked and evil. 
And he says, be subject. As Jesus stood before, I believe this was Pilate. It says in John 19 and 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me. What? Except it were given thee from above. So did God pick Pilate? When the Bible says over there in Romans 13 and 1 that the powers are ordained, does that mean that God picks people that are in authority? We've got to be careful, folks. Because what we do with that idea very often is the people we like, we say God picked them, and the people we don't like, we say, well, I don't know how that happened. I don't believe God's picking our leaders. I believe we reap what we sow. And so we, when we have people in the state senate of New York stand up and cheer the killing of babies, God didn't pick them. But we have to learn to be subject to those that are in authority. They have no power, just like Jesus said here, the power comes from God. What they do with it is up to their free will. Now when I say I don't believe God picked leaders, He could. I'm not trying to put God in a box. He could. For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee. Did he pick Pharaoh? Is that what that says? I, I guess he could. He could have picked Pharaoh. But I believe what the verse says is that he used Pharaoh. That I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now we've got to remember about Pharaoh, as we consider what he says here, that Pharaoh had every opportunity to do the right thing. And he kept changing his mind, didn't he? And he kept changing his mind. And then it finally got to the point to where this happened. And ultimately, God's will was accomplished by a wicked and evil man. And that's what we don't need to lose sight of. Sometimes wicked people accomplish God's purpose. Another warning. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel neither seek the Lord. So as we look at our government and we 
think about what it is we want from our government. Why do we want that? And what we can't forget is that looking to government for a solution is likely going to disappoint us because very often our problems are caused by politicians, not solved. And I think that's exactly what the prophet's talking about here. You're looking to a place for a solution that's actually part of the problem. And instead, you need to be looking to God. You know, we want a different government sometimes, don't we? We want somebody different to represent us. And what we've got to remember, and Lewis prayed it in his prayer this morning, what our country needs is a change of heart. Because those politicians that are out there promoting all of these ideas that are contrary to Christianity are there... Because they have the support of people whose hearts are not in the right place. And the solution to our political problems is for people's hearts to be changed. The last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And that's what needs to happen in our country, folks. For those that that weren't here Wednesday night, Jason Rogers had an excellent presentation on the idea of godly fathers and what our responsibilities are and what it is we need to be doing. Our hearts need to be turned to our children, just like our mother's hearts need to be turned to their children. That's what's going to transform our country. And you and I have an opportunity to shine dark, uh, light into the darkness. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. That's our response to the wickedness. We need to be praying about it. All of these babies that are being killed, God's going to take care of them. It's heartbreaking. I get that. But God's going to take care of them. We've got to do this. So we live in a representative republic we have the opportunity to vote. Lots of discussion about voting. And I'm not here today to 
discourage it, encourage it. I don't think Scripture demands that we do either one. Here's the point I want to emphasize. If you want to vote, please vote like a Christian. If you want to run for office, if you want to campaign for somebody, whatever it is that you choose to do, do that. But pray with the same passion Because prayer is what's going to transform our country. And people get all fired up about all of these other things, and we forget to pray. We can't forget to pray. And I think we do a great job of that, people. I, I just don't want us to forget Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. That's where we're shining light in darkness. When we have the opportunity to do something good, we need to do that. To speak evil of no one. And this is getting harder and harder, isn't it? To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. To show perfect courtesy. I told you to begin with that I'm challenged. And this, this is where it's really hitting home for me. Because I get called names. If you believe in biblical morality... You are going to get called names. And these are the names. These are the ones I can put on the screen. There's a lot of them we wouldn't even dare put up there. But I'm deplorable. I'm a homophobe. I'm a misogynist. I mean, that one just wears me out, people. Because if you defend the right of a child to have life, you're a woman hater. And there's no word strong enough to describe how discouraging that is. Christians are demanded. We put our women on a pedestal. Don't hate women. But that's what we're called. How do we respond? Well, you call them a name. That's how you respond. Right? Call them a name. I want to remind us of something. So, the story goes, if you're out on the road and somebody passes you and they're going faster than you, well, they're a moron. And if you come up on somebody that's going slower than you and they're in your way, well, they're an idiot. Am I right? And then that's what we teach our children about. And it doesn't matter, folks, if you're the best driver in the world calling other drivers' names. Don't prove you that you're a good driver. And we forget that. 
And that's what these people are doing. They don't have a winning argument, so they call us names. We don't need to respond that way. We have a winning argument. We have the truth. You don't have to call somebody a name. And it doesn't strengthen your position when you do. It makes your position weaker. In John chapter 9, Brian Mooney had a sermon on this several months ago. The blind man was healed. The Pharisees were frustrated by this because it appeared that Jesus did something good. And they just couldn't stand that, right? And so they bring the guy in and they have this exchange with him. And he basically says, well... All I know is is that I was blind and now I see. The Pharisees were on the wrong side of this, weren't they? So what'd they do? They called him a name and sent him away. And we see it time after time after time. And then we start doing the same thing. Shame on me. Not the way it ought to be. We respond with every good work, with gentleness and perfect courtesy. The authority, the power came from God. And that's why this is the right thing to do. going to conclude here with some thoughts about God's providential care spiritually. One of the heartbreaking stories in the book of Genesis. God had asked, well actually the end of the story is not heartbreaking. But God had asked Abraham to take his son, his only son, and sacrifice him, right? And he said, the boy said, well, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And this is Abraham's response. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for our burnt offering." So they went, both of them, together. And he did, didn't he? He did provide that. Remember earlier I said, God provides us with the things we need to do what He asks us to do? That's what I'm talking about. Joseph was sold into slavery. That was not a happy thing. Turned out pretty good though, didn't it? But this is what Joseph said to his brothers. But as for you, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. 
it worked out. And so when we talk about things working out, this is why. God's providence is at work. You know, as we think about this, and I, I don't know, I guess it, it seems like I use this verse in every sermon these days, but things work out. Look at, the, look at Hebrews 11. That doesn't mean that everybody had a prosperous, healthy, happy life. It means it worked out. And that's what the promise is. It worked out for Joseph. It worked out for Isaac. Things work out. And that's God's providence. And that's God's promise. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So I was in Stillwater in December, and I preached, preached this sermon. And one of the guys asked me after it was over, don't you think God's will was largely accomplished at the cross? And I thought, hmm, I really hadn't thought about that. But as I have thought about that, this is one of the verses that, that came to my mind. What God wants is for us, His people, to take the gospel to the world. And what we want is to be healthy and prosperous. And what Paul says is that I got thrown in prison, but the result of that was the gospel was advanced. He didn't get what he wanted, maybe, but the gospel was advanced. And so when we think about what God's will is, we've got to stay focused on the eternal. Because we get bogged down in the temporal. And so when God's providence is out there working, we may not even be able to see it because we're so focused on what I wanted. There is no temptation taken you but as is such as is common to man. God places limits, and that's what this promise is about. He's not going to allow you to have a temptation that nobody else has ever faced. He's not going to allow you to be tempted above your right, something you're unable to resist. It's not going to happen. And it's God's providence, because that's what His Word promises us. And He's faithful. God is faithful. 1 Peter 4.11 If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. We hear from time to time, sermons about how God places us in His body in a way that pleases Him.
And His providence is at work as He does that. And when people choose to do the things that they have the ability and the opportunity to do, God's body flourishes. It's taken care of. It's fed. It grows. When people are doing the things that God's providence has provided us. Remember what I said about the scientists and the oil-eating microbes? They took a tool that God gave them to provide a service. That same principle needs to be at work in the church. We need to take the tools that God has given us and we need to use those to serve And the glory be to God. Because He's the one that gave us the tools. Close with Psalm 93 and verse 1. The Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Let's take our faith, folks, and go shine light and stay away from all of this negative stuff that plagues us. Thank you for your attention. Never want to close without offering the Lord's invitation. If you're here this morning and we can help you in some way with a spiritual matter, please come and have a seat on the front while we sing the invitation song.